Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, I'm Peter Crosby coming to you from the Digital Shelf Institute studios in Boston with our weekly episode of Quick Takes on the industry news that you might just want to pay attention to. We're going B2B today with the brilliant Justin King coming to us from his B2B cave in Baltimore. Hey, Justin. Hello. Glad to be here. <laughs> oh, so happy you're here. Um, there's certainly no more scintillating way to start off a podcast than to talk the digital supply chain, right? Uh, <laughs> um, Lowe's made some news this week that, that uh, you saw in an article by Mark Brohan at Digital Commerce 360. Uh, do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, I think I think it's pretty interesting. Um, Lowe's is the the title is Lowe's is investing 1.7 billion dollars over the next five years to modernize their supply chain. But they said modernize their supply chain with digital technology. Uh, they talked about how they're going to overhaul their e-commerce platform. That I think is a pretty legacy e-commerce platform. Yeah. But the focus of this article is about how they're adding B two B e-commerce tools for procurement managers. So specifically, uh, so you have Lowe's.com, right? Which is the retail uh, site uh, for Lowe's. And just like when you walk into a Lowe's building, you walk into a Lowe's building and as a retail customer, I can go and buy things, but there's a whole area of people um, that are more, that are professionals or contractors or painters or plumbers or electricians uh, that, that use Lowe's as a, a B2B site for them to go and pick up their products. So, Lowe's has even morning hours for contractors, um, not consumers. So contractors can go in at 6 a.m., um, get their product for the day, get their lumber for the day, get their piping for the day, um, and then leave before the store opens. They get that using terms um, so they can pay within 30 days or 60 days, whatever the terms they negotiate. Sometimes, most of the time, they get better pricing on products because they're buying on volume. So depending on how much they buy, they get better pricing from Lowe's. So it's a pretty good deal. Now, so you have Lowe's.com, which serves as that consumer site. But then you have Lowe's for Pros, which I actually like the name, <laughs> Lowe'sforpros.com. You always like a, a little rhyming a in your, in your <laughs> yeah. URLs. Lowe's for pros. So on Lowe's for pros, a customer can go online. Uh, they can create custom catalogs for their recurring purchases. They can get access to their purchase history. I mean, a, a standard B2B e-commerce site, like a normal distributor would have on their website. Um, they can even do things like manager tax exemptions um, and their whole business account. And so I think, you know, this, when they talk about this infrastructure, the infrastructure is kind of twofold, one to increase their supply chain for consumers, but they see a big opportunity on the B2B side uh, that he mentioned, he mentioned that the, the infrastructure improvements they're making is going to help Lowe's transition for a store based home delivery model to a market based model. Yeah. I was wondering what uh, that, that meant. I actually put a question mark next to it. I wasn't quite sure what yeah, they I did meant too. by that. Oh, I, I was hoping. I mean, you'd I, know. I've heard. Well, no, I've heard. I've heard. I've heard rumors that just like, uh, just like other big distributors are doing, that they want to open this up to more of a um, a marketplace type model, where where a where a contractor can actually get 
third-party products that aren't necessarily housed at Lowe's, but from their other from their brands and manufacturers delivered to their um, delivered to their locations. Because again, this isn't delivering to home; it's delivering to the, the job site, yeah. right? And the yeah. job site might be at like, hey, the corner of West and Third, right? right. Um, and so and that, that's just an assumption. I have no idea. Yeah. Do you that, do you think that, that it might uh, that also allows them to expand their assortment that? Uh, maybe if they are more, because they talked also about building out new distribution centers. So that suggests yeah. to me that they want stuff that's not necessarily held in the regular Lowe's stores, but held somewhere else. I mean, like that's you said, right. maybe more of a marketplace, and then they can just deliver it wherever it needs to be, which I think is yeah, they, pretty smart. They did talk about those D, you know, the DCs and modernizing the supply chain in the DCs. Um, the DCs are distrib- distribution centers. And so a distribution center would be able to get a product to a customer um, fast, but not necessarily from that local store. So yeah, yeah, you're probably correct. Yeah. I saw Marvin Ellison who's the CEO of Lowe's said, we are working diligently to improve the foundation of Lowe's.com by replatforming the entire site to Google cloud from a decades old <laughs> platform. And I found that fascinating for one, just to move to the cloud. Like that's a substantial, yeah. I mean, there's $1.7 billion. We'll, we'll pay for a lot of cloud, but, but also uh, I did notice it wasn't AWS. And I wonder if the, <laughs> the choice of Google over Amazon uh, is indicative of also they, they view Amazon as a competitor moving into a competitive position with them. Perhaps. Well, it's, it's actually interesting. So I, I know a software platform, an e-commerce software vendor that very, dis, very purposefully put their platform on the Google cloud instead of AWS. So they, because they serve lots of distributors so they could tell their distributors, no, we're not on AWS. Um, we are on Google Cloud. So, yeah. so, so absolutely. I, I think it's interesting that they, they're talking about replatforming the site that they're like, because the cloud is a hosting environment, not a platform, right? So even that little confusing. Well, of, I mean, it means know, the, it the means move. <laughs> means recoding. I mean, they have to rewrite yeah. the thing essentially from scratch. But one of the things they also talked about adding was this. Um, a Yardi software management platform that users in the real estate markets uh, that use this Yardi, Y-A-R-D-I platform can select lowesforpros.com as a vendor. So they're also expanding the way in which people can access right. that inventory, which I thought was, which I thought was interesting. Well, it's, it's about, it's about procurement, right? So yep. Yardi allows you to do procurement, e-procurement, punch out. And so Lowe's for pros um, now is a vendor with, and that's automatically set up so that you can automatically go and punch out to the Lowe's for pros, um, website and purchase your products. And it brings it back into Yardy. So it's simplifying, uh, simplifying that purchase process. So they don't have to go to Lowe's for pros. They don't have to go into Yardy, put their order in and then go into Lowe's for pros, put their order in again. It's just one kind of fluid yeah. process. Well, it's going to be a busy five years for Lowe's for sure. Do you, do you see this as in, you know, you talk to distributors, gosh, all day, every day, something like that. Yes. Um, do you see this as a larger trend um, when at the sort of mid-level distributor level, are they in the, you know, in this kind of market with Lowe's, are they going to feel more pressure to do, to do better experiences or what do you think this trend is? Lowe's and Home Depot are interesting because most most distributors, at least for like commodity products or MRO, industrial, plumbing, a little bit in HVAC and a little bit in electrical, 
most see Lowe's and Home Depot as, you know, relatively decent competitors um, in their in their local markets. Um, and both Home Depot and Lowe's have both put a focus on contractors, electricians, plumbers, HVAC technicians. And I, I do I do see the pressure being put on the especially the the mid-sized uh, regional distributors uh, because Lowe's and Home Depot all have you know what, what a distributor would call branch. Lowe's and Home Depot have a branch in every city um, in the U.S. and they, they do see that as a competitor. Also, their their buying power is significant yeah. um, for Home Depot and Lowe's, so it allows them to get those products at, at, at cheaper at cheaper prices. Today, most of the time, you can get products still cheaper at the distributor, but but I've seen that start to change where. Lowe's and Home Depot are actually getting those products um, at, at a different rate. Well, and also if you add in the new distribution centers, now all of a sudden, you know, I, I, it's so interesting to watch consumer expectations of of convenience and price and all those things moving over to the B two B space. And if it it feels to me like part of it is when Lowe's because they will pull it off <laughs> when they pull off the distribution center more, as they said, market-based model of delivery to the site in a more efficient and effective way. That to me feels like a potential big muscle coming into that market that might override the loyalty that some contractors feel to their more local distributors. Did yeah, I- look, stock, stock. I mean, availability is is probably the largest driver for if you're if you're a business, right? And you're an yep. electrician, you're a plumber. Availability is king. Yep. Right. Availability of product. Like, I need to get it tomorrow, or I need to get it this afternoon. Yeah. I don't need it. I don't need it three days from now because I'm working on the job today. So availability and local availability is important. So whether that's a distribution center able to fulfill that need, or a local branch or a local store. I, I do. I mean, I think availability always trumps price um, and even service um, at this point um, inside of distribution supply chain. No, I, I agree. I mean, just as a consumer of contractor work, when they turn to me and say, oh, I got to run over <laughs> to, to the hardware yeah. store to Lowe's to get that part. I'll be back in an hour and a half. That drives me crazy. So I can imagine when you're doing it at scale on a construction site, if someone can bring it to you and all you have to do is walk out and That's get right. this thing you need. So it'd be interesting to watch that unfold over the next. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think the, the, the next the next interesting thing to talk about here, Peter, is um, really around payments. So, so Peter, do you know the number one benefit of, of we're going to talk about Uber, the number one benefit oh, okay. of the Uber app that riders cite today? What would be the number one thing you think people enjoy about Uber? Uh I mean, over the overall Uber experience, I was going to say those little bottles of water. If I step in to an Uber and they have a little bottle of water for me, I love that. But the app. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and now they have cargo in there so I can buy a snack. But uh, that's clearly I'm focused on food consumption. But uh, on the app itself, uh, whenever it says two minutes, as the the fact that I can get somebody to my house in two minutes to go where I want to go and it's not 15 right. with a taxi, that actually makes me the happiest, that minute counter. I like that too. I, I don't like when it goes like two minutes and all of a sudden it's like four minutes. You're yeah, like, and you see you're going the, the wrong way. <laughs> no, it's like goes around Uranus or something like you're that. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> um, so 
So obviously Uber is a, an amazing app. I mean, you, you click a button, a car comes, picks you up, takes you where you want to go. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing uh, company and invention. However, the number one cited benefit of the Uber app that, that riders cite is no payment. So you have this crazy technology, right? That allows you to go from one location to another location and Uber riders cite payment friction, lack of payment friction. No, I got to say the the biggest thing. Yeah. The biggest pain in the neck when there were only taxis in the world was uh, the, the rides fine, whatever, but having to sit there and swipe my credit card and wait for the drivers, it drove me crazy and now they have curb uh, or and other apps that you can use to right. just immediately do but they had to go do that because that is clearly the advantage like i'm here i'm out of the car don't make me wait another three minutes right well it was even worse when you got there and it's like oh my credit card machine doesn't work <laughs> right like, what do you like and i you know, know they works, you know they right? wanted cash. i know it works <laughs> exactly you just don't which i totally understand <laughs> don't want to pay the fee but come on <laughs> you don't so you have to get cash so so th- that idea of payment friction or lack of payment friction is, is pretty interesting, especially when it's translated into the B2B world. So if you're a B2B buyer, payment friction is actually a decent sized problem. You and I, last time we talked about shipping friction yep. and shipping transparency and payment friction, I think is, uh, is kind of on that same level. I mean, just, so just, just think of your personal life. Um, I was, I was on uh, Instagram um, over the last few days, I saw an ad uh, for a really slim wallet. I need a really slim wallet. My wallet's getting huge. It looked really cool. So I went to this website um, on my phone, and I realized I had to fill in a ton of data. I had to fill in my bill-to information, my credit card information, my ship-to information. So I was like, I'm not doing that. So I went to Amazon. They actually didn't have the product, but they had another slim wallet, so I bought that. Convenience, um, all, and mainly I went to Amazon because of the lack of you know, it was just easier. I could one yeah. click and purchase it. We could fill anything out. I do want to point um, out though, Justin, that the reason that your wallet is fat is not the wallet itself, but all the stuff you have in it. So think <laughs> yeah, about <laughs> I know. Because originally I got, I've when got you got way bought too it, many receipts and stuff in there. It's not like your wallet's uh, been probably, eating and gotten like fatter over time. You've just put more stuff in it. So that's uh, right. That's right. You may need to rethink it's, I, No, Peter, it's all the cash. That's oh, that's what it that's, is. It's the hundreds. Yeah, you don't believe in the cashless um, society. <laughs> <laughs> so in B2B though, it's a lot more complicated. So, you know, buying something from a B2B site, people normally don't just use a credit card to buy something, especially if they're looking to establish a relationship with a company. Yeah. What most companies try to do is they try to get terms with that customer, um, with that, with that company. And so net 30, net 60 terms where I can buy today and pay with a check from my normal AP department, my accounts payable department um, down the line. I mean, it's a, that's a traditional way. However, to do that, to do that online, you actually have to fill out a credit application form to be approved for those net 30 days. Um, and here's the process. Here's this traditional process. Um, and, it's, and this is, this is a slight exaggeration, but not by much. Um, so you go on and you're like, I have to fill out a credit application. So I download the PDF. Um, I fill in the 75 fields, uh, slight exaggeration, it might be 65 fields uh, for the credit application. Um, I fax my credit application in, or maybe I email my credit application in. I wait for my credit application to be approved, which is typically like anywhere between three and seven days. And now I'm able to buy on terms on that company's website. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's a lot of friction involved. So if I don't do that, I'm, I am then paying with a credit card and um, filling out all the different forms uh, for that, for that credit card. And that's just, it's most companies don't want their people using credit cards to buy all, yeah. especially if you're buying a decent amount. I mean, if you're buying $10,000 worth of stuff, that's a hard process to go with. So, so an interesting, another article from digital commerce 360. Yeah. From Paul Demery um, talking about uh, using a, a wholesaler um, that, that is using a automated system. In this case, it's from Funbox, but there's a couple others out there. There's Funbox, there's Approve um, that, that are using kind of automated systems that allow you to fill out a credit application. And through artificial intelligence and machine learning, they, they quickly determine um, your ability to pay as a company, right? So I'm now registering as a company, not as an individual. Mm-hmm. And they then, they then grant you terms. They might grant you 30 days, 60 days, 90 day terms. Well, what's interesting about that, so on the, on, the, on, the, on the buyer side, that is a really, really good process, right? I fill out a form, I'm immediately approved, I can go, I can go do my shopping and I know that I'm on terms and my account's payable. Um, team just pays it like they would a regular invoice. Yeah, the the thing um, that I the thing that I thought was really interesting, in addition to that um, angle that you're talking about, was sort of the the um, entry into this article was about a new D 2 C company, right? He talked about right. a company like DD Apparel, it's called, and they're mm-hmm. a they're a sustainable denim company um, that have their own D to D to C site um, under the brand. What brand was that? OliverLogan.com, excuse yep. me. But for these, for the, we've seen that D to C brands want to scale. And so more and more, they want to tap into the wholesaler market, right? Wholesale and, market. And, but um, the, the CEO, Oliver Timsit of, of DD Apparel was talking about how difficult it can be to get, um, to get um, retailers to, to put their product into the market. And that often it has to do with sort of, well, I don't know if you guys are going to work and these payment terms are, you know, how much risk do I want to take with a brand that I don't Mm -hmm. have experience with? So I thought that it was super interesting to think of this as a way for, for, um, you know, D2C brands to make their product more attractive to try out without creating an enormous financial risk for the retailers. Was that, did that jump out at you as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think it's, I mean, and and what we see, we see a lot of D2C brands that are, that do want to do want to deal in wholesale and wholesale, wholesale could be retailers, Peter, but it could be like individual, just, just small little shops or even online shops that want to offer, offer the product and the, the friction involved in being able to, to make those purchases often is often is pretty significant. And then for, for DD apparel on, on their side, you know, if, if you, if you have to have a credit apartment department now that has to do this approval, that's a lot of hires um, and the fees on, so 30 day terms, 30 day term terms is actually cheaper on the terms than it is. Um, so you pay like 3% on a credit card purchase, right? Yeah. Um, typically yeah. 30 day terms is like 2%. Yeah. You actually pay less in points on a wholesale order that can be significantly higher for offering terms than, than you would for credit card fees. So there's benefits on both sides, uh, both sides of the table on both costs and revenue opportunities. Yeah, and they were saying that through through things like Funbox and the other the others that you talked about, um, the 
the manufacturer receives payment at the time of purchase, and then they're paying fees to Funbox for those terms as well. So you're getting cash in the door, you know, when you when you need it. Yep. Uh, f- which often for D to C brands, you know, they're they're in startup mode, and so uh, that helps their business as well. Yeah, and the the order sizes. So he talked about how average order value on the wholesale side increased. Uh, by 30% to $2,500. I mean, that's a significant average order by uh, order value yeah. Um, increase. Yeah. And, and it, so it seems like uh, it's again, reducing friction throughout this digital supply chain, kind of where we started with Lowe's it's, we're seeing it consistently happen across and for companies like a fun box to, to be innovating in that area, I think is super interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, talking about digital supply chains and payment terms, it makes me anxious. <laughs> These are not things that I normally we'll, we'll talk calm about. Calm down. <laughs> I know. So th- this, the, we'll just close out with this really cool thing because I, I um, saw uh, on the Washington Post, Abba Batara. I wrote an article about a new mindfulness trend, and it's that Lego is now marketing to stressed out adults. And um, so apparently they've spent the past five years just revamping their instruction manuals. And I love this. The the quote in the article is to make the kits foolproof for frazzled adults. So like my kids can figure out (laughs) the Legos, but apparently adults are having problems. So they had to rewrite the instruction manuals. But what they're saying is, um, is that essentially much like sort of um, jigsaw puzzles were in my parents' era, like sitting down at a table and just taking some time to like work on a Lego is creating, putting people in the present, all you can focus on and where the hell is this piece go? And then, uh, and it's just a mindfulness exercise um, for, you know, just letting you relax from the day. And I thought that was uh, super cool and smart of Lego. Uh, I was just wondering whether that's something you would ever do. I, it's funny because when my kids were young, they're a little bit older now, but when my kids were young um, and they had their Legos, I always sat down and, you know, I thought I'd play with them for 10 or 15 minutes and two hours would pass and I would have built this amazing castle. Pushed them, them out of the was, way. It was amazing. <laughs> like, don't touch my castle. Exactly. Go make your princess, go make your princess thing over there. <laughs> the kids uh, are sitting absolutely. in the corner by the time you're done. No, but even the creativity, Peter, and uh, just the, the attention to detail of putting those things together. Makes a ton of sense. Well, I, apparently, I, there's probably a, buy an adult version myself. Right, right. I don't even know if you need an adult version. If you got those in the basement still, just go down and and pull one no, out. They're, they're very pink. I got uh, lots of pink <laughs> in my basement. I need some yeah. black and All blue. Right. All right. <laughs> um, the the uh, apparently there's a show Lego Masters which uh, ran on Fox. I, I have not seen that, so I'll have to check it out. Um, and. And what it turns out is that adults are far more likely to drop $800 on a $7,500 Star Wars Millennium Falcon or $400 for Harry Potter than mm. they might for their kids. So there's also a, you know, a margin and revenue push for Lego, which I think is smart. Um, what was the acronym they used in that, Peter? A-F-O-L? They, they, they called... A- A-F-O-L? They, this, they they call this generation uh, adult fans of Lego. They call they, they they've typed them. That's affholes. right. That's right. Seriously, affholes. That that doesn't rhyme with anything. Um, so, 
Well, with that pun, which I apologize for, uh, I think that brings the, the the show to a close. Hey, Justin, thank you so much for, for wiring in from, from Baltimore. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. So, loyal listeners, please follow us on the Institute's LinkedIn page. Tweet at us at WinDigitalShelf. As always, if our content is useful, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate it. And thanks for being part of our community. 